Talk Recorded live. And welcome to episode 249 of the Michigan Sports Truth Post Game Edition on Talk Show. I'm Taylor Phillips along with Spock Gino and Louis Tenor. How are we doing tonight, gentlemen? We're doing good. We're all right. Good. All right. Well, uh, Tigers were down five to one. They came back and took a seven-five lead. <laughs> they blew it in a spectacular fashion, no less. Yeah, no problem. Yep. Yeah, they blew it. So, with uh, K-Rod on the mound, allowing the bases loaded and nobody out. Big strikeout against Souza. The manager got ejected, but got the ground ball. Got the got the fielder's choice, but Iglesias slipped and accidentally threw it away. Well, I mean, they probably I mean, appeared to be injured. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what happened. I didn't really get a good look at exactly what could have been the injury. It uh, didn't look like it was an awkward play. It looked like it was pretty straightforward. It was, his leg just gives out. So, unfortunately for them, it, it cost them the, the game. Even if he doesn't, I mean, even if he just falls down with the ball. They probably are, they're still playing probably because that run probably isn't coming home. Uh, the, the, the last run, uh, keeping it on the infield, but instead he tries to throw it and obviously not a good throw, goes into foul territory and ends the ball game. But I think that kind of buries the lead because truthfully, they shouldn't have been in that position to start with. K-Rod loads the bases with nobody out, one by intentional walk, uh, a leadoff walk to Kevin Kiermeyer, and then Evan Longoria with a long double to right field. But, I mean, you can't load the bases with nobody out and hope to get out of that situation. That doesn't happen very often, and K-Rod is not the type of guy who can do that. And even though he came within milliseconds of that happening kind of right where you said it right before we came on he kind of gets what he deserved by putting three guys on base before he records an out and they end up losing this game 8-7 Justin Wilson came in in the 8th and just blew oh, away the, one, two, three. yeah blows away the 8-9-1 hitters without, even, without any trouble without even bringing a freaking sweat no, and and that's the kind of thing that frustrates people that watch this team. Why not just switch that role? K-Rod still can get guys out on a major league level. He has proven that, although he's not as effective as he once was. Still can pitch and, and has some ability. Why aren't you bringing him in the eighth and let Justin Wilson close that out? 
I mean, I know he's facing a, a right-handed 2-3-4 lineup, but, I, you know, I, I just don't really understand. And, again, going back to Brad Austin is holding on to roles. All you have to do is switch those guys, and maybe you get out of there with a win. Your team fights hard to come back from a 5-1 to one deficit. Zimmerman, I think, probably got better than he deserved. A couple of defensive miscues cost him some runs. Overall, he pitched pretty well. Um, you know, he pitched well enough to probably get a win. He did give up five runs, but like I mentioned, some defensive miscues cost him some runs and some base runners. And instead, they walk away with an 8-7 loss to the Tampa Bay Rays and now are in cemented in the fact that they will lose a series for the first time this year, even if they were to win tomorrow's game. They will have lost a series for the first time this year. And it's just one of those games where you think that, uh, you know, the Tigers probably got at the end what they deserved. But at the beginning of the game, really it was closer than 5-1. to one. They came back, and, and the offense comes alive. Nick Castellanos with a big two-out. They're calling it a triple. I don't know if they'll go back and reverse that because Kiermaier actually does touch it with his glove. But regardless, they get a bases-clearing hit from Nick Castellanos, makes the score 7-5. to five. And from there on, uh, you would hope the bullpen could hold on. Alex Wilson does give up a run in his one inning of work, and he really got lit up as far as the hitting was concerned. Uh, he was able to dodge a couple of bullets, but there are some really hard-hit balls on his pitching. Gets through the inning with only one run scored. Justin Wilson comes in and, as we mentioned, just blows through his three batters, three strikeouts, doesn't even break a sweat. And then Hayrod comes in, loads the bases with nobody out, almost gets out of it. And instead, they lose the game 8-7. to seven. So you can dissect it one way or the other. It's a loss. But at the same time, I think the Tigers, in the end, give one away simply because their bullpen is unable to hold a lead that their offense is able to give them. And that's kind of the pattern that this Tigers team is going to face throughout the season. Is the starting pitching was not rock solid tonight, but it was good enough and combined with some defensive lapses combined to give them a, a deficit that they had to work out of. They worked out of it, though. I mean, they scored seven runs. And seven runs should be enough to win you a ball game most nights. Tonight it wasn't. K-Rock is happy to close her first and foremost. And, and Justin Wilson, of course, should have pitched the ninth inning as well. Could have, could have struck out two sides in order, one, two, three, the eighth and the ninth inning to close it out. Well, he threw, he threw 13 pitches. I don't understand why you don't let him. I don't understand why you don't let him go out there and at least start with Kiermaier, who's a left-handed batter, and see what he can do. I mean, K-Rod wasn't even close with Kiermaier. He did get a couple of strikes on him, 
But, I mean, he just was not close on the pitches that missed. And I think for Detroit, it's not a matter of who's the closer and who's who's the eighth inning guy and, and who's who's what. It's It has to be more on who has the better matchup, who has a better leverage. You start to look at analytically a little bit who's coming up. And, again, I understand that Evan Longoria scares you. He's, he was two for three before that ninth inning double. He's a right-handed batter. But Justin Wilson is more than capable of getting him out. And with what he showed in the eighth inning, I don't understand why they didn't let him go back out there for the ninth based on the fact he only threw 13 pitches. He's not going to get that tired throwing 13 pitches. You let him go out there, and if he can get if he can get somebody out, then let him keep pitching. And I think that's the frustration that a lot of people have, is that Brad Osnes is tied down to these roles that somebody has to come in at this time and somebody has to come in at that time, instead of just saying, hey, we don't really have a closer, we have a bullpen. And whoever's ready or whoever's the best pitcher for that matchup, that's who we're going to go with. And I understand there's some egos that have to be massaged and some some players that have to, to do certain things for them to perform. But Frank, K-Rod is, is not going to be your closer any long-term solution. And had he come in the eighth and Justin Wilson came in ninth, we will never know if that would have turned out differently. But you have to be willing to try new things. You have to be willing to, to mix and match and, and do what you can to win the game. And Brad Osmus, when it comes to the bullpen, doesn't feel that he needs to do that, and they end up losing the game in part because of that. Tigers are now, I think, 8-7. Eight 8-6. and 8-6. Eight and, six. Eight and six. Thank you very much. Um, this is how. This is what. This is another example of why fans should not root root for the Tigers because because of Brad Ausmus. Because Brad Ausmus again continues to make another another uh, inept decision, taking Justin Wilson out of the game, thirteen pitches, putting in K Rod, who absolutely is far past his prime and stinks. At the moment, like like he did tonight, but he could have he could have walked Zuza to force in a run. There was a full count on on Dan Zuza, and that last pitch to Zuza could have been ball four. It, it was it was very close. Um, or maybe not that close. Strike close enough. Strike call. Yeah, close enough for him to swing and go around. Yeah, he. Yeah, he. Yeah, he went through. He definitely went through. Souza should not have done that. That's his mistake. And the manager came out to argue, and uh, he got tossed out of the game. Well, it was the correct call. Kevin uh, was the correct call. I mean, Kevin Cash comes out because that's what Kevin Cash does. Kevin Cash likes to get thrown out of ball games. 
I never um, even heard of that guy. I never I mean, even heard of that idiot anyway. Well, and again, I understand why you come out as a manager. You, you think that maybe you should have gone for help or maybe you should have done this, but, I mean, Larry Vanover gets the call correct. He goes around, makes the call on a, on a borderline three-and-two pitch, and I understand the frustration that you want that tiger run to come in, what, what you thought was ball four, but the fact remains that you still have only one out and the base is loaded. Now you've, you've got Logan Morrison coming up who hadn't had a hit all game and still doesn't, ends up getting an RBI on the fielder's choice. But, I mean, it's it's just baffling, like I said, how Brad Osmus continues to hold tight to these so-called roles that these guys have in the bullpen. And I understand that you have to, to be ready to pitch at a certain time. And if you you don't know when you're going to pitch, it's a little bit harder to focus. And I understand that. And, and, and K-Rod's a professional, but he knows he's going to be pitching late in the game. It's not like he gets. It's not like he'd be completely surprised if he had to go in in the eighth versus the ninth. I mean, I'm not talking about starting the guy for Pete's sake. I'm talking about bringing him in the eighth to face the eight nine one guys instead of the two three four. And that's kind of the the tenor of the conversations I've had with various people on Twitter tonight. It's not the fact that K Rod's in the game. It's the fact that he's facing the meat of the Tampa Bay lineup when he clearly is not effective right now to the level that they need a closer to be effective at. And then you had Justin Wilson come in the inning before and just blow away the Tampa Bay hitters. Blows away Ricky Weeks, blows away Beckham, and and blows away Corey Dickerson. I mean, those guys didn't even have a chance. And, again, holding tight to those roles, you know, K-Rod's our guy. You know, it reminds me a lot of the Joe Nathan situation. Not that K-Rod is to that level ineffective. I mean, he can still get guys out. He obviously has gotten saves this year before. But, I mean, Justin Wilson was, was dealing. And for him to come out in the ninth would have not have been a stretch at all, I think, for, for him. And, unfortunately, Brad Austinus doesn't think so. Brings in K-Rod. And what you talked about, not rooting for the Tigers, you're in a situation there as a fan. If they win the game there on that Logan Morrison ground ball, let's say Iglesias doesn't get hurt or, or whatever happens and completes the double play, Brad Ossus is going to go in to that press conference saying, you know, hey, he's our guy. He got us to save. It doesn't really matter how. Well, now you go into that press conference with the way that things ended, and he still can use that excuse because, truthfully, the end of the game was not his fault. He got the ground ball that he needed. But at the same time, he's got three guys on base with nobody out. He got to that situation because of his ineffectiveness. So when you talk about rooting for them, yeah, you like to see him win, but at the same time, if you want K-Rod to be out as closer, I mean, he has to have a catastrophic failure. And, boy, if, if tonight wasn't one, I, I don't know really what is. Loading the bases with nobody out? 
being brought in for that specific situation and not being able to deliver, I mean, it's, it is it is what it is. And it's hard for me to say that I'm not rooting for the Tigers because I always will. But, I mean, part of me says, you know, there's a built-in excuse now for Brad Osmus the way that game ended. And he's not going to see anything wrong with it. I really believe that. I don't think that he's going to see that there's a problem because he he's just going to say, hey, we were one one throw away from winning that game. And ignoring the fact that what happened before brought you to that situation. So it is what it is. Uh, I think that the Tigers really have some some searching to do. Um, they're waiting for Joe Jimenez to to be brought back up so that he is under team control for another year. And I know that's the business aspect of it. And when you're looking at games early in the season, you know, you're 14 games deep into a 162-game schedule. But these are the type of games that when you get late into September, you're going to wish that you had. Because you're always going to lose games you should have won. You're always going to win games you should have, or lose games you should have won, win games you should have lost in 162 games. It's going to happen. But they had this game by the short and curlies, and K-Rod came in and blew up in epic fashion, and they still almost won the game. And now there's that built-in excuse that K-Rod still could have gotten out of the game unscathed. And I think they'll lean on that crutch until he proves that he just simply just can't get it done at any level. Um, You know, another point of concern is Victor Martinez, who went tonight one for five. But at the same time, I mean, he can't run anymore. He just can't run. And when you've got to hit a ball to the wall in center just to get a double, you can't hit that guy fourth. I understand they want to play Victor. They're almost obligated to play, to play him simply because of his contract and the fact that he's still a professional hitter. But at the same time, I mean, batting him fourth right now is just not doing anybody any favors. And the lineup they had out there tonight, um, you know, again, Tyler Collins playing right field because J.D. Martinez is close but not ready to come back yet. Once J.D. Martinez comes back and gets in the groove and, and gets into full game shape, I cannot imagine them still batting Victor Martinez fourth. I would almost think that J.D. Martinez has to take that spot. They bumped down Victor to five or six. Justin Upton's day-to-day with a forearm contusion. He should be back relatively soon. When they have their full healthy lineup. Victor Martinez should not be hitting fourth in that lineup. He can't run. He is, without the shadow of a doubt, way past any point of effectiveness on the base paths. And you can't have that guy batting fourth, not being able to get extra bases and make the defense work. That's not what the fourth hitter is for. The fourth hitter is there for power but he's also there to keep the base paths clear, and he's not able to do that. I understand that they're kind of dinged up right now with J.D. Martinez and Justin Upton out of the lineup, but when they get a full, healthy lineup together, Victor Martinez should not be in the fourth spot. 
No, he shouldn't. Trying to trying to uh, wait on on what Brad Ausmus really had has to say. I, I know he's going to say the usual, but uh, still, it, it, I I just have a I just have a bad feeling for this team that. Um, this this whole Brad Ausmus K Rod soap opera is going to continue throughout the entire fucking year. Well, and in the, in the division they're in, they're still in first place in the milk toast AL Central. Everybody else is five hundred. The Tigers are two games above five hundred. So by virtue of that, they are in first place. But again, they should be farther in first place. This is a game that you should have won. There's going to be and games. I mean, and the more that game. happens, and the more that happens, the more the more games the Tigers are going to lose this season, and that and that that's going to take them out of the playoffs. Thankfully, because well, because then because yeah. then if the if the Tigers miss the playoffs for a third straight year. Priscilla, the then Priscilla Janelle Avila may have to be a little more concerned. Well, I mean, in this division, I mean, if you can't get at least second place, I mean, that's that's a, that's a bad sign. I know last year was slightly an aberration simply because of some of the hitting and the pitching performances that they didn't get from guys who they expected. Obviously, Justin Upton did not live up to his end of the bargain on the contract last year. But at the same time, I mean, this division is not very good. And when you're pissing away games in April, those come back to bite you in September. And this is just one of those games. And, again, you don't want to draw too many conclusions because there's 162 of them. But these are the games that you kind of look back when you have a game or two out of first place in September and thinking, boy, if we just won that game, well, if we could have just done this, and every baseball team does that, that's close, that's independent race. But it, it goes back to the urgency. I mean, Brad Austin is probably going to say, well, we're still in first place. And, you know, that's where we want to be. I mean, just being in first place isn't simply good enough. You have to want to win the games that are given to you. And tonight, Tampa Bay wanted to give them a game. They wanted to hand that game away. And the Tigers didn't take it. And that's the frustrating part about having Brad Ausmus as your manager is that he's going to view this as a glass half full when there's really nothing to be seen there. there there's, there's just you lost the game that a team tried to give you, and you handed it right back to them. And good ball clubs don't do that. I, I, I just can't stand. I just can't stand Brad Ausmus. I can't stand K. Rod. Not at all. I, I can't stand Alavilla, and I can't stand Chris Illich. It's only a matter of time until the Illich is sell the, sell the team. Well, and it's it's about the being good enough. You know, you look at the Tigers, you look at the Red Wings. Their goals are not 
to be the best team out there. Their goals are to be good enough. And the Red Wings is... Not even, not even nearly good enough. Well, no, but, I mean, they're identified by Ken Holland's attitude that they they just have to get in the playoffs. You know, and I saw some things, and we'll kick it in a little bit to, to our second part of this uh, segue by saying, you know, you, you look at the comments that have been coming across from Ken Holland and those types in the last week. You know, you talk about him comparing him. You know, all you have to do is get in. Look at look at Nashville. They're the eight seed, and look at you know look at the eight seeds that are playing right now. Well, number one, Nashville would kick the shit out of the Red Wings, and so would Toronto. And Toronto did kick the shit out of the Wings this year. So, saying that just getting in, just getting in is one thing, but you have to have the talent level to be able to compete. And had the Red Wings somehow meandered their way into an eighth seed this year by some stroke of luck, they'd almost be done or already be done because they're not a good enough team. And the same thing with the Tigers. This whole all we have to do is get in attitude. I mean, I understand that there's parity in these leagues, salary caps and advanced scouting and all these advancements that have happened in in sports are designed to keep teams in a semi-competitive state throughout year after year. But this whole attitude of, well, we'll just get in. Just getting in just means that you're good enough to get eliminated. Just getting in doesn't give you any sort of advantage over a team that just doesn't make it in. Because now now they're going to be picking up. Right, I mean, and you're, you're 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 cheating yourself by saying, "Oh, if we just get in, that's a success," because that's not a championship vision. That's a let's let's do what we can vision, and that's that's the thing that frustrates most of the people that, at least when I when you talked about the rubbings more than the Tigers, because baseball is a little bit more exacting in their playoff qualifications than hockey is, but. I, just getting in, it's just an attitude that permeates these teams. And it's frustrating because if you're not going to be good enough and you know you're not going to be good enough, yeah, you're going to try. You're getting paid to play a game. You're going to try. You're going to try to win every game. But when your team isn't good enough to win, you're going to have to do something different. You've got to make that team as competitive as possible. And Ken Holland's vision is not to make them as competitive as possible. His vision is to make them as competitive as they can be so they can make the playoffs and say, well, we made it. We had a chance. That's just not a way to operate a team. You're no closer to a championship by getting run out of the building in a first-round series than you are if you go, if you go to, and you finish just out of the money. There's, there's no difference. The only difference is that if you don't finish in the playoffs, you get a better pick and perhaps a better player to restock your roster with. Making the playoffs just makes it harder to do that. And the Red Wings, we'll get into the articles that we talked about, uh, as you posted on the Facebook page of Michigan Sports Truth. Uh, You know, that stuff isn't going to fly anymore because you cannot hang around the bottom of the playoff picture year after year 
and inspect to improve just by magic, just by good fortune. It doesn't happen anymore. There are not teams that can do that. You're either in or you're out. And if you're not at, if you're not in, I mean, there are teams that make the playoffs that don't have a chance to win. And whether it be in the first round or it be in the second round, at some point, talent's going to trump you if you don't have enough. And, and thankfully, the Red Wings missed the playoffs for the first time in 26 years. And Chris Hillich retains Ken Holland and Jeff Blaschel. Because Chris Hillich is Chris Hillich. Chris Hillich already knows already knows that that the Red Wings are are not even nearly good enough to win the Stanley Cup. So they, he just wants the Red Wings to to make it to the playoffs and not even win a series. And 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 thinks and decides to think that it's a good enough success for this organization and that which is actually bullshit which is actually which which is also called being a fucking pussy mind you same thing with the tigers with Brad Osmus and Alavila you just make it to the postseason only to get swept by the Baltimore Orioles back in 2014 three games to nil and then you tank in 2015. You retain Osmus there because because of Chris Illich, not Alavila. And then 2016, you come up you come up a game short of the postseason. You exercise Osmus's option because Illich and Avila both think not not all together, but individually that Brad Osmus has managed the bullpen quote-unquote tremendously. Are you fucking kidding me? You you idiots. Have you not even watched the fucking games? You sons of bitches. Well, and, and to say that Brad Osmus m- managed the bullpen tremendously, I mean, look at what he's got, right? Elavila has not fixed the bullpen. Dave Dombrowski, before he was fired, he never fixed the bullpen. Nobody has fixed it. It has been a downward spiral. Right. And they have and they have never addressed it. They've always said they're going to. And they've always had these harebrained ideas of, of fixing the bullpen. Mark Lowe was a failed attempt at fixing it. And you're not going to hit on everyone, but, I mean, they have not hit on one signing or promotion in that bullpen in the past 12 years. And they just haven't. I mean, if you want to go back to what you would say current Tigers history, which would be basically any time after 2003 when they lost 119 games. 
and Dave Zembrowski got Mike Illich to, to overspend for guys like Michael Yordonez and Pudge Rodriguez and really start the renaissance of the teams that made the playoffs three straight times from 2012 to 2014 and had three World Series appear- or two World Series appearances, they have never addressed the bullpen. They've always had just the fly by the seat of their pants, hopefully this works, attitude towards it. And you look at the – It looks like – it looks like – Illich, Avila, and Osmus are all hitting the Motor City Casino just to hope for luck with the with the same old bullpen. And, right. I mean, and mostly and, and, it never works. No. And, and and coming out today, I don't know if uh, Tony Paul That's, mentioned it. They didn't even contact Andrew Miller's agent this off season. It's not like Cleveland signed him for a, a big money deal. He got signed for nine million dollars which, incidentally, is the money that they didn't spend when they traded Cameron Maven and refused to exercise his option. I mean, Andrew Miller is one that, of the that's premier another, That's another premier outrageous religious. move by Al Avila, a negatively outrageous move. I mean, you give up Cameron Maven, which you want to spin that any way you want. They they now have Jacoby Jones, and by pure... pure good fortune and some luck, Jacoby Jones is now in center field. But you had Andrew Miller, who's coveted by pretty much any MLB MLB team, and you don't even try to figure out what it would take to get him to your your team again? I mean, don't get me wrong. When they traded him away, I mean, that was... They had they got a franchise cornerstone because the Florida Marlins were looking to deal anything they could, and it was a great move. But now that Andrew Miller has turned into one of the premier relievers, you don't even explore that option, especially since you just cut some payroll in, in not exercising Cameron Maven's option. And now you're saying, well, we didn't have enough money. But you have guys on the roster like Mike Pelfrey and Mark Lowe and Anibal Sanchez who are eating money day by day even if they're not on the team anymore, but you couldn't find $9 million to scrape together to grab Andrew Miller, or maybe more. I'm guessing he probably would have taken more. To get the premier reliever on the free agent market, or at least one of them, that's the kind of stuff that just drives people nuts, is the fact that they're not even trying. Yeah, You're telling me, you know, I mean, they, they thought, well, Bruce Rondon will come back. He came to training camp almost at 300 pounds. He doesn't give a crap. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's just mind-boggling, and that's the kind of stuff that they've gotten into is with these teams that have been run by the late Mike Illich and now his son Chris. It's not about being competitive and, and trying to win a championship. It's more about getting in staying at a level that will interest fans enough to buy tickets, but at the same time breaking your heart by not achieving at the level that they could. And that's where both teams are at right now. The Tigers are at a level that their window is getting really close to being done. Justin Verlander and Miguel Cabrera, obviously on the backside of their career, still performing at a a good level, but not nearly what they were in their prime. And 
at some point they're going to have to rebuild this team as well because of those two guys leaving and others. Dave Dombrowski, in his last act as general manager, gifts Mike Illich, Michael Fulmer, Matt Boyd, into that pitching staff by making moves and selling for Ioana Cespedes. When a lot of people wanted them to buy and make one more run, he resisted the urge, made those moves to get those young arms in the system. And and they refused to try to to build on that. They refused to, to say, well, we're just going to take a couple years off. We're going to try to restock our, our roster and and hopefully make another run with a younger core. And they haven't done that. And most fans would have, would have, would be fine with it. Yeah, you're not going to sell as many tickets because they're not going to be any good. But you're going to get people that are going to at least want to watch the games because they're seeing what their future is going to look like. But to keep wheeling out these middle-of-the-road, let's hope that they get on a lucky streak and, and get something going, that's the kind of stuff that just it, – it, it doesn't wash. And I don't, I don't understand how they can't see it and everybody else that has a brain and follows these sports, whether it be baseball or hockey, is telling them to go in the completely opposite direction. You know, an interesting point was made for if you're talking about the NHL. Since Detroit won in 2008, four teams have won the Stanley Cup. Four in the last eight years. Every general manager that was at the head of those teams at the time that they won one of those cups or multiple cups has now been fired, has been replaced. Ken Howland, his team has won one playoff series in the last six years. He's still there. That tells you something right there. Teams that are at a championship level are not satisfied and make changes quickly and get somebody else in there that will do it. Detroit stays with what they got. And, and they're not point, at a championship level. No, and they're not at a championship level. That, to right. me, that, that, whole, that, that fact right there, that tells me that they're not really interested in winning a championship. Because if they were, they would make changes and try. Now, it may not work, but you have to be willing to try, and they're not willing to try. Right. And Ken Holland still thinks players like Justin Advocator, Jonathan Erickson, Nick Cronwall, and Danny DeKaiser are still good players, good enough to lead us in lead us into a deep run in the cup. Are you kidding me? They didn't even they didn't even nearly reach the fucking playoffs this past regular season. Well I mean but again he thinks that they're gonna be competitive. He doesn't want to go out and spend he doesn't want to go out and he's not gonna go out and spend big money other than I mean he spent big money this year but most of it was on his own players. The only big free agent name that he signed to a, a long-term contract was Franz Nielsen, 
And you know that was coming because they needed a center with Pavel Datsyuk's retirement. So they went out and get Franz Nielsen, and they signed him to a long-term contract that will take him to when he's 38. I understand that you have to make those signings, and you sometimes have to make longer commitments than you really would want to. But at the same time, that that's just a move that's patching a hole. It's not saying, hey, we lost Pavel Datsuk. Instead of taking that money and turning it into Franz Nielsen and Darren Helm, basically, they could have just kept it on the books, drafted Jacob Chikrin, and gone with the youth movement. They wouldn't be that far away. They are farther away now because they felt they needed to somehow keep that stupid playoff streak alive. And that didn't even work. And now they're in a spot where they're even worse off than they were last year. They don't, now they don't have any cap room. They have Tomas Tatar coming up who's not going to take probably under $5 million, and he shouldn't because he's got a 20, he's coming off a 25-goal season. And you've got all these other guys in the, on that roster that are going to be making more than him who can't get out of their own way. And and that's where they're at right now. The Red Wings are in a far worse position than the Tigers simply because they just don't have any room. They don't have anywhere to go. And no teams from the in the NHL are just going to take those contracts on just because they feel they need to. They're, they're either going to be stuck with them or they're going to have to bribe somebody heavily, like a Las Vegas, to take one of those bad contracts just so they can sign somebody else. And that's the other problem with giving Ken Holland money is when he's got money, he can't even spend it responsibly. So it's just been one thing after another with both of these teams that they don't want to, for lack of a better term, blow it up and and try to come back with something, a newly rebuilt roster with a lot of younger faces and and try to see if they can make that work. I understand that you're not going to just be able to get rid of everybody, but at the same time, you just you you have to be better than trying to go year by year and not really having a plan. Because at this point, that's what the Tigers and Redmonds are doing. They're going year by year. Every year, hopefully, they can do just enough to be competitive. And speaking of the Red Wings, Jeff Moss wrote this nuclear option article. But, but that comes from this Brad, this Bill Bradley article first that uh, that was headlined "The Dynasty That Ate Itself." It it tells you all all the history and the long term contracts about the Red Wings. Uh, uh, not the history, but the long term contracts and Ken Holland tries to hide the truth of everything he says. And, and Ken Holland just keeps yeah. trying to lie and lie and lie when Deadspin tries to get the truth from Ken Holland. 
Well, I mean, if you look at that article, I mean, we don't, we're not going to read the whole thing. I mean, you can go look at it at Deadspin. Bill Bradley wrote it as a very nice article. It's called The Dynasty That Ate Itself. But you look at the deals that they've made during that run, I would say probably after 2009, because you can look at the deals that were done before then in the trades, and you can almost chalk that up to, you know, they had a championship caliber team. You're trying to move guys around and, and win a championship. After that 2009 final, when it was apparent that they were really going to need to restock, they had guys at the very end of their careers. What they did was, instead of building for the future, and, I, and I'll even give them an excuse to till, till 2012 when, when Nicholas Wilson retired. At that point, there was nothing that they had going for them that spelled championship team. You weren't going to replace a Hall of Fame defenseman. And year after year, they make these deals that are widely panned and have gotten them nowhere. You look at the trade in 2014, trading Patrick Hayes and Callie Yarncrook to Nashville for David Legwand. It makes no sense. It didn't make sense then, and it didn't. It doesn't make sense now. And again, Bill Bradley makes that point. There were deals that were done back in the, early, the late 90s, early 2000s, that at that point pushed them over the top. As recently as 2008, when they won the, the, their last championship, when they when they kicked in a trade to grab Brad Stewart, who was a vital part of that championship team. Those are, I mean, when you're making trades to to complement, and I said this before, when you're making trades to complement a championship level team, you can excuse some bad deals. You can because you're either in the running or you win the whole thing. But after that. Not one of the deals that Ken Holland has made has put them any closer to a championship and it would be argued and probably proven that they've pushed them farther away. And Ken Holland, like you said, just keeps double-talking and, and talking his way out of it and trying to try to justify all these things that he's done when it's pretty obvious that other teams that are are good, you look at Pittsburgh, you look at uh, teams like San Jose. You look at teams like like that that played in the finals last year. Yeah, they have good franchise players. Obviously, Sidney Crosby, Joe Thornton, Joe Pavelski, Mark, Evgeny Malkin. Those are top players in the in the NHL. But they're not trading two of their best prospects for David Legwand, who was at that point barely a third line center. They're not doing That's that. one of the most hilarious deals that Ken Holland has ever made in today's world, in this day and age. I mean, it, 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 and that's the kind of stuff that he's doing. He's, they're not making sense. And even the trade deadline this year, when people were asking for Riley Shane, who had scored zero goals to that point. Into the final that, game of the regular season, at the show, when he scored two. And, and teams were interested Teams were calling about him, saying, hey, can we have him? Yeah, I understand there's some upside to him, but you got to look at his age. He, was, he came out of college from Notre Dame, and by the time he got to the Red Wings, he was 24. 
forwards after they're 29 at a good clip, if they're, if they're producing at a good clip, after they get to 29, it's downhill. It's been proven. It's been shown by multiple people, multiple ways, and multiple times. And Bill Bradley's article on Deadspin just points to all these bad deals. And even though they sold at the deadline this year to get picks, they still didn't do enough. They still could have said, we'll trade Riley Shan for a couple of picks. We'll, we'll trade some other guys for some other picks. They could have done that. But they didn't because he feels that if they trade Riley Shan, they're farther away from a championship. And that's just, I mean, it just makes no sense at all why you would make those deals or why you wouldn't make some of those deals. He's still stuck in the, in the, the era where you can just get guys in the sixth and seventh rounds and, and they're going to blossom into franchise cornerstones. It doesn't happen anymore. Not possible. You look at the last oh. five. I, I looked at it. The last five drafts out of the sixth and seventh rounds, the best players, you're looking at guys like Carl Hagelin and, 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 some, and guys around that caliber. Carl Hagelin's not a franchise player. You can't get Zetterbergs and Datsuks in the sixth and seventh round anymore. You just can't. But they've held on to that old standard that, you know, the scouting is going to see them through, and they're going to pick these guys out of a pick these diamonds out of the rough, and it's, it's just not going to happen anymore. And they've made these desperate moves to try to capture some wild card playoff berth. That is going to end up just with them as they have the past three seasons before this year being out in the first round. Not closer to a championship. And Ken Howell will sit there and argue with you that because they made it, they're closer than if they didn't. When it's quite apparent that in these leagues, parity is king. you got to get worse before you get better. And he just will not face that fact. He can't. He doesn't know any other way to operate a team. And this is this is why the Red Wings should should uh, not only miss the postseason, but to finish even worse than they did this past regular season, which was sixth overall with a seventh overall pick, maybe even close to as really bad as the Colorado Avalanche did the same year. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Colorado Avalanche were one of the worst post lockout teams ever. Because yeah. if, you, if you try to do it by era, you obviously have to go from the lockout of 2004, 2005, and beyond for the cap era. And literally one of the worst teams that's been iced in that history, in that time period. And they're going to get a number one or number two pick, probably, and they're going to start on the road to rebuilding. They have good young players. They just don't have anybody else to surround them with. And the way you do that is picking high in the draft. Now, rebuilding doesn't always mean success. Arizona and Buffalo can tell you that because they're on years, whatever, of their rebuilding, and they're not getting any better either. I would say that Buffalo and Dan Bilesma 
probably on the hot seat next year to, to make the playoffs because they were able to get Jack Eichel. And they have a pretty good young core. And they were not as good as people thought they were going to be this year. And they've got to get better. Otherwise, Dean Bilesma could see his way out. Arizona has been in flux for pretty much their entire existence in Arizona. And they've got a good collection of young players. But again, not filling them in or surrounding them with guys that are cheap and can do the job. And that's what you have to do in today's NHL. You have to have your three or four core players, and then you've got to lean on your player development or finding young, cheap players that can fill roles for you, and that's how you build successful teams. And the Red Wings have, have failed to evolve, and it's been painfully obvious these last five years that they don't have any idea how to do it any other way than what they're doing now. Right. And then then you get the uh, former employee, the former Illich employee, uh, reporting a lot of important things that we need to know. This is uh, from the dynasty that ate itself. There's, first, there's... Uh, There's uh, Holland's quotes, which we already got. And then... Um, yeah, when he, when he was talking about Detroit not being the, as appealing as they were trying to make it out to be, because as Chris Illich stepped in for an ailing Mike Illich, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just was pretty apparent that Chris is, is in it for a business relationship more than he is a results relationship. Chris Illich is very structured in how he operates the team. It's been pretty it's been pretty apparent that with the Tigers that he is looking at the bottom line rather than what they're putting on the field. And to some degree that is something you need to pay attention to, but you can't do it at the expense of fielding a competitive team. This is not the Florida Marlins. You are not Jeffrey Loria. You are not in it just to make as much money as possible. And you're not in the either. No, but you're not in. You're not in it to rip the city off and make money hand over fist. And that's what he's coming across as because with this new arena, it was built with city money just as much as their money, and even more city money actually. And all he's doing is is tightening the screws on the money, and not improving the product that he's putting into these buildings. He's, he's been portrayed as an impatient and at sometimes lording over the staff that he employs simply because Chris Illich is too hands-on. Mike Illich, all he did was sign checks. He was involved with the team. He would help make big decisions, but... The day-to-day operations, and whether it be sports or any other business, they tell you the best way to do it is hire good employees and let them make money. The best way to make money is have other people do it for you. And Chris Illich is not that type of owner. He wants to have his hands in every single aspect of the team, and that just breeds mistrust and hesitancy 
from your employees because you don't know when he's going to tell you that you're screwing up or you don't know when he's going to tell you that you need to do something because he wants it that way and he's the owner and he's going to get his way. And, and the common refrain is, what did you hire me to do then? And it's been said multiple times about Chris Illich that he is not that type of owner. He's going to oversee everything that he can and more because he is very hands-on. And truth be told, he's probably doing it because he wants to make sure his checks are as big as they can be. And that article was spot on about how this team is being run because Ken Holland who is the GM of the of the Detroit Reddings for now, basically takes his marching orders right from Chris Hillish now. And he's doing everything he can to appease his boss. And if that's save money or if that's maximize profit at the, at the cost of fielding a competitive team, he's going to do it. I got the I got the quotes from the, the former Illich Holdings employee talking about Steve Eisenman and Chris Illich. That when people found out about Steve Steve getting passed up because Han wouldn't move up, that really turned the tide there because nobody's nobody is bigger than Steve Eisenman in the Red Wings world. And then uh, as we as we scroll down. I mean, it was it was at the time that he was being considered to perhaps take over for Ken Howe in 2010. He had proven himself in that role. He was the executive director of the Team Canada that had, that had won the gold medal. Yeah, and again, he they had, they had just won. They had just started building that team, so he he knew how to do that. Now, granted, the Olympics is a completely different ball game than running a, a day-to-day NHL team. But at the same time, when you look at that, it's all about the talent evaluation and being able to put together a cohesive team that will compete at a high level. And when they asked Ken Holland to step down as GM and get bumped upstairs to a higher position, he refused. And Steve Eisenman at that point didn't have any patience to wait around to see if he could to get it to wait and see if Ken Howell never changed his mind. So he goes to Tampa. In Tampa this year, missing Steven Stamkos and making sellers trades at the deadline still almost made the playoffs. Missing their best player. And Ken Howell couldn't be forced out because he had some delusional pride that if he did that, he'd be he'd be giving up on something. And and the former employee again says Steve Eisenman will not come back. Chris has full control. This is a no-brainer. The rest of the family is either too screwed up or just completely uninvolved and are basically just collecting their checks, their own checks, that is. So Chris is it for the family, and I don't think you can be in that position and not work directly with Chris because Chris is very hands-on, like you pointed out, Buck. And Steve Eisenman won't work for Chris Illich. No, because... Because Eisenman and Chris Illich don't get along very 
very well no, at we, all. And Chris Illich, like you pointed out earlier, doesn't get along with anybody. Well, he only gets along with people that will do what he says and and right. basically accede any, accede any authority to him. And, and Steve Eisenman is... And and, and Steve, and yeah. And Steve Eisenman is not that guy. I mean, yeah. if he's going to be the GM, he's going to make the decisions. Yeah, he'll come to the owner if he needs to, to open the checkbook or if he wants to get an a, a, a endorsement on a particular move. But at the end of the day, it's his job to do that. That's why you pay him. And Chris Illich, like I said, is not that type of owner. He's try- Chris Illich is trying to run the team from the owner's box. And it's been proven in sports way past these salary cap areas that running the team from the owner's box is a sure way to fail because you don't look at everything objectively because you're looking at your checkbook rather than what's being put on the field. And no matter who you are, as the owner, if you don't have enough confidence in the employees that you hire to do so, you will go back into the default mode of running it so that the business is profitable. And that's what Chris Ellich is doing. He runs it as a business that is in the business of making money, not in the business of fielding a competitive team. And what I mean by that is if you have a competitive team, by default, you should be making money because you should be able to get fans into the building for a competitive team. You should be able to sell more merchandise. It's it's just that. It's just how it goes. And at some point, that competitiveness fades because players get older, injuries happen. But you have to have faith in your staff that they'll pull you out of it or at least set a course that has a defined plan to get you back to that point that you were at before. Holland has no plan. Ken Holland, if you asked him what he wanted, what he wants his team to look like in five years, he wouldn't be able to tell you. And if he did tell you, he wouldn't be able to make it happen because he can't get out of his own way. And because he's such a loyal employee to Chris, Chris Illich now, who signs the checks, his best move is self-preservation. And self-preservation means doing whatever they tell you, even if it means not making as much sense business-wise as it does on the field or on the ice. And, that's, and that, shows, that all shows why Steve Eiserman is smarter versus those five idiots, Chris Phillips, Ken Holland, Jeff Blashill, Al Avila, and Brad Osmus. Eiserman doesn't want to – Eiserman wants no part of that evil Pentagon five-head monster. And that's final. Heisman's not going to have to put up with it, with that silly shit. No, because he's not. He's not going to. His his answer to them is, "You hired me to do this job. Let me do it." And that's how you should be as a general manager. You can be open to suggestion. You can take the owner's uh, advice, but at the end of the day, it's your paycheck that's at stake. And if you don't do the job, you get you get fired, or you move on. And in professional sports, that's how it goes. And the teams that are run from the owner's box fail time and time again because of that. I'll give you a prime example. In the NFL, Dan Snyder with the Washington Redskins. When's the last time they've been a very good football team? It's been a while. 
because Dan Snyder continues to put his greasy paws into that team and try to be a part of the decision-making process more than what he's needed. And, yeah, they made the playoffs. I mean, they were able to get some playoff bursts out of there. But it, it, it's just the, the kind of stupid moves that the that he makes, that's the kind of stuff that Chris Illich I can see making, is him making the decisions because he thinks he's the general manager when all he did was get born into a, a family that owned the team. He has no prior experience running a, a professional sports franchise. He has no experience at all in talent evaluation, and he's the one that's making the decisions. May I and add, always, the general manager of both the Tigers and the Red Wings, and when you have that combination, this is it's never good. And like I said, that's that spans way before lockouts and salary caps and all those things. I mean, even before it predates free agency. Owners that run the team never have long term success because that's what they're there to write checks. And when they're doing it that way, they're looking at what the sizes of those checks are they are that they're writing and they're making sure that their bottom line is as healthy as it can be. Not making decisions with long term goals in mind. Right. And that and that also leads us to Jeff that that last chunk of just Jeff Moss's article, the nuclear option. Jeff Moss rips George Malik for going after Bill Bradley, and and um, and Malik, George Malik, my taint, go uh, goes after Bill Bradley and calls that source a bogus source. That was a from as bogus source as it gets. Replying to Ryan at Drumbum87, honestly, it reminds me of all the Swedish Mafia crap from last year. Both both Drumbum and Malik were ripping Moss's articles when they shouldn't have. Well, the, the thing is, it becomes, when you look at who's paying who, I mean, I know Jeff goes into what George Malik has, has been doing with with his time and you know, I try to skip past some of that because, again, I mean, it really boils down to George Malik, who writes about the Red Wings and has followed them for a good number of years. You would think that he would be able to be in touch with what the team is doing. And when Jeff Moss brought that Swedish Mafia scandal or whatever you want to call it out last season, People wanted to dismiss it because there wasn't anything coming in from the quote-unquote mainstream media, the beat writers who are bought and paid for pretty much by the team. Yet, yeah, bought and paid. Right. George and yet, bought and paid, just like the mainstream, those mainstream box. Right. And when you're, t- when you're talking about people that are writing, I mean, nobody's going to go on there and just, I mean, you, you have people that are going to make rash accusations, and you're going to have people that write things just so they can get clicks or reads. 
But none of the things that Jeff Moss wrote about that team last season and even in this season, it, it, it didn't make sense for him to do that because it wasn't anything about what the team was doing from a personnel standpoint. It was talking about what they were doing on the day-to-day operations of the of Jeff Blashill trying to maneuver that team and it was written about why the team was, was where they were at. I mean, you had Anthony Mantha, who was arguably their best prospect, and they wouldn't bring him up because Joachim Anderson was playing. Why they needed him, nobody knew, and it didn't make any sense. But at the same time, nobody was refuting those reports from the mainstream media. Nobody was digging into it because they didn't want to. All they wanted to do is, again, collect those checks. We're only going to write about the positive stuff or we're only going to write about what's happening in front of us. And Jeff Moss had the confidence and the gusto to say, hey, I know why these are happening. This is why. And then he gets backlash from people that are around the team on a daily basis saying, oh, that's not true. It is true. And, 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 and again, he goes through his sources meticulously, and he's not one to fly off the cuff when he's writing things like that. He does fly off the cuff on some things, but it's not about that. And he didn't do it on that. And he said it pretty clearly as what was happening and why, and it all made sense. And this article really was spawned simply because he had had enough of this mainstream media collating the Red Wings for what they're doing as a team, as a franchise. And it was roundly denied that this was happening. Henrik Zetterberg was undermining the rookie coach, Jeff Blaschel, at the time. And he's brought it out that it was leaked from a Red Wings player. Specifically, he doesn't name him in the article, but specifically Justin Adelkater, who had leaked it to another NHL player who Jeff Moss had back channel connections through and confirmed the reports that he had heard from other unnamed sources. And what this really boils down to, and I know you you and Frank touched on it last night, is that this Red Wings team, who is trying to snow job the majority of the fans by utilizing the, the writers in this town and basically giving them marching orders and telling them what to write and how to write it, and again, that kind of goes back to the Chris Ellish ruling of him extending all the way down maybe even to the folks that write for the, the major media sources that cover the team. He's able to unearth some information, he being Jeff Moss, that nobody else dares to write about. And it's sad to see that kind of stuff happen, but with what we've talked about today, I can see how it happens because nobody else is going out and saying Ken Howe needs to go 
Ken Holland needs to to change his way. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, the best we can get is people saying, well, maybe that's not the right move. Well, maybe that he shouldn't have done what he what he's done. Well, Jeff Moss, at the top of the article, did did talk about John Nio's article about how Ken Holland should change what he's been doing. John Nio, the uh, Red Wings beat writer for the Detroit News. Yeah, and he had the opportunity to really call Holland on the carpet because he has enough information. He has a, he has a, a good enough base of knowledge. And, and Niall even wrote an article, uh, a couple of articles, I should say, about how they can regain their former glory by making moves that would make sense in the salary cap world and even brought in a an article that showed the, in a detailed plan what he would be able to do. And this was before last year's draft. This wasn't. This isn't. This isn't revisionist history. I mean, this is stuff that was written before it happened, and talked about getting salary flexibility. Talked about really concentrating on building that pipeline of prospects and having them being seasoned in. Detroit, rather than sticking in Grand Rapids for four or five years, I mean, he really had a decent plan that made sense, and they didn't obviously do that. They went the complete opposite way, and then Niall, writing an article about this season's team, started off with kind of a "Hey, I told you so." I gave you the plan. You know, nobody really wanted to listen to it, but it was a reality that had to be realized. But at the same time, he breaks off of that and says, well, you know, maybe they can work on some things this year. Instead of going full bore into, it's been well documented that Ken Holland doesn't want to listen to people that tell him anything but, we're going to try to make the playoffs. We're going to try to win every year. Because in his mind, he equates only wins with being closer to a championship. And it really insults the people that follow this team that have a good sense of what it would be like to, to compete and have a competitive, successful franchise, even though it may, may take a, a small step backward. And all he had to do was say, hey, Holland's not making the right moves. It's been widely detailed by many sources what really needs to happen, but instead he breaks off and and doesn't get to that point. That said, he basically said, we'll see what they can do this year. He he basically gave up, and, and, and Nayo basically just acceded to Ken Holland and said, well, you didn't do what everybody thought you should do. Maybe you can try it again this year. And that's kind of in, in that article he mentions Ray Shero, Dale Talon, Dino Lombardi, and Pierre Shirelli. All those teams that have won the Stanley Cup since the Detroit Red Wings won it in 2008, they are not with their teams anymore. Now Dale Talon is back, 
in the JM role, but he is not with the Chicago Blackhawks. Dean Lombardi was fired this season as the LA Kings general manager. Peter Shirelli was let go, and he is now the GM in Edmonton. And Ray Shero was fired as the GM in Pittsburgh, but he has found work in New Jersey. So it's not like these guys don't have supporters, but they are not in their current jobs because of their failures, because of their teams not living up to their expectations. Yet you have a general manager in Ken Holland who has won one postseason series since 2011, and he's still here. And that, again, tells you how the Red Wings really view how to run a, run a, run a competitive franchise. To the ground. And it's well, only there you go. Worse. Yeah, and it's, and it's only going to get worse. You know, I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's only going to get worse. Thank not, you, only, not, not only on the ice, but with all these other things that are going on, I mean, payroll. Because, he's, because he's, well, and because of the revealing of, of outside sources, or sorry, inside sources and players giving out information about how the team is run and it making the run on the Internet, which in today's world, that's how we get our news. We don't get it in the newspaper. We don't wait for somebody to tell us what's going on. We try to find out for ourselves. Need to be more informed, and again, I mean, Ken Holland has built his resume on the work of other people, and now his true ability is being laid bare because none of those guys are around anymore. There's no Scotty Bowman. There's no Jim Neal. There's no Hakan Anderson. There's no nobody. They're not around anymore, and Ken Holland has surrounded himself with yes men so that he can be unquestioned in his handling of the team. And this article just goes to show how far that poisonous attitude has run into the team. See, here's the key. The, the, worse, it gets for, the worse it gets for the Red Wings and, and maybe the Tigers as well, who, who knows, but the worse it gets for at least either team, the le- the more money the Illiches lose, and and while they have to play have to pay taxes and revenue altogether, that is way too much for the Illiches. And Chris Illich might might have to sell both the Tigers and the Red Wings to to anybody. Just so things can things can then change. For example, Ken Holland getting fired af- after the sale. If you think about that, Alan Vila getting fired, then Brad Osmus and Jeff Blashill, because they it's always because yeah. neither of them have have any feel for for either the game of baseball or the game of hockey. Well, I've always said that I think that Jeff Blashill is actually not a bad coach, but again. It goes back to they brought him in specifically because they knew they could control him. They could tell him what to do. Jeff Blaschel has won at every level he has been at. Every level that he has been a head coach. 
Yeah, Griffin. he has he has been a winner. Cup, 2013. You cannot tell me that Jeff Blashill doesn't know how to coach. That right. said, right. That said, he isn't doing it now, and the reason is is because he is not his own guy. He's not doing the things that he wants to do. He's being told what to do, albeit probably not in that form. He's probably not being handed plans by Ken Holland. But as close as you can be to that, he is taking orders and he is running the team as he's been directed rather than doing his own thing and running it with a winning style. I, I would always say, and you, there are some people that probably would disagree, but I think Jeff Blaschel on another NHL team that allows their coaches to do what they're paid to do, he probably would be a lot more successful. I mean, you look at a team like St. Louis, who was playing tonight. I got to watch them for a little bit. Mike Yo, who was fired in Minnesota because he couldn't get the, the mileage out of his team that he was supposed to, especially since they had a lot of big-name free agents, Zach Freezy, Ryan Suter, and a couple others. But now he's in St. Louis using his system, and he's a successful coach. He's got a team in the playoffs that really, before Ken Hitchcock was relieved, didn't have any business of being in the playoffs. My point there is that Jeff Blashill won't get to that point, and I don't think he'll ever get to that point in Detroit, Unfortunately, he'll probably go somewhere else where he's allowed to be his own coach, where he's allowed to do what he is paid to do, and he probably will be successful. Maybe. I'm aware that that would be the same case with with Brad Osmus being controlled by Chris Illich and Al Avila, or is that a different story? Well, they're two different games, but that said, I, I, I think that Brad Osmus probably, just for the, the simple fact that he had no experience prior to the Tigers, would probably be a less likely candidate to have success somewhere else. I mean, like I said, Jeff Blaschel had been a head coach before at different levels, and I understand that the NHL game is, is way different than some of the levels that Jeff Blashill was successful at. But that said, if you can win at other levels, you're doing something right. And I think that with Jeff Blashill winning as much as he was able to at the stops he was at proves that he at least knew what he was doing. And at those lower levels, you're afforded a lot more latitude than you are at the professional level, at the highest levels, because... The owners are going to tell you, here's your roster, that's what it is. And there's not as much input from the head coach. But he is he has been successful. So to your point there, I think that Jeff Blaschel certainly would have a higher chance of success going somewhere else, you know, being allowed to run his way than Brad Ausmus would simply because Brad Ausmus had not had any head coaching experience or managerial experience before he got to Detroit. Except he managed in the Ivy League. <laughs> yeah. The yeah, work right. Work. Right. I mean, I mean, the resumes for both of those guys are, are vastly different. 
But I was but I was asking if if Brad Ausmus was controlled by Al Avila and Chris Illich the same way Jeff Blaschel. Oh, but well, I, I guess you already answered that, so never mind that. Well, I, I, that's a valid point. I, I mean, again, I, I think to a degree he is, probably not to the degree that Jeff Blaschel is, simply because right. in baseball, it's a, it's a, like I said, it's a different game. But that said, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things you look at tonight, K-Rod's your closer. Well, I guess I got to use him in the ninth inning because they paid me to, or they paid him to be our closer, so that's where I'm going to use him. If he uses it in the eighth inning or, or or just manages according to matchups and numbers instead of defined roles, maybe he feels that he wouldn't be the, the manager anymore. I mean, he's a lame duck manager as it is now. He does not have an extension past this season. If there was ever a time to demonstrate his ability to actually manage a team the way that he feels the best way is, this year would be a prime opportunity and instead he has embraced the opposite philosophy wholeheartedly. So I think to your point that there is a degree of control, it simply is at a different level than it is with Jeff Blaschel and the Detroit Red Wings. Well, there you have it, folks. There's the entire... uh Distinguish the distinguishment between Jeff Blaschel and and Brad Osmus, and and yeah, I do agree. Jeff Blaschel is a a better head coach. I think if he was uh, controlled a much better way, he would be a much better head coach with the Red Wings or or any other NHL team, whichever. Just not just not with Ken just not with Ken Holland or, or Chris Illich. Because those guys are trying to run the Red Wings to the ground. Now, Blashill has made some mistakes, or some typical mistakes, by uh, putting in Justin Ablocator and Riley Sheehan, who who hadn't even scored a goal until the final game of the regular season, in... in, uh, Clutch situations with uh, with with uh, with an empty net for a sixth man instead of Anthony Mantha and Andreas Athanasiu, but that that was because Ken Holland is telling Jeff Blaschel it, what to do. He's getting it into Jeff Blaschel's ear. So was Henrik Zetterberg from according to Jeff Moss from that. Swedish Mafia article. And whatnot. That that's uh and that's driving Jeff Blashill driving Jeff Blashill the wrong way. So it's already twelve twenty seven AM. That that was a hell of a ninety minute talk. Fuck, uh, you're going to get up really early uh, later today. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to let you get some rest while I uh, pass it on to Lewis. All right. Gino, thanks, guys. Scores. Yep. Thanks very much, Buck Gino. You can follow Buck Gino on Twitter at Buck Gino the Third Triple I. 
in Roman numerals. So, uh, so on that note, Louis Tenor, Captain Jenks, got the got the same voice as Captain Jenks, <laughs> pretty much. But um, I do. Got it. You got the scores, standings, and headlines, including Aaron Hernandez of all yes. people committing suicide in prison. Oh boy, that's, that was the, that was the story of the day. I'll get to that in the news headlines, but first the scores here. Uh, right now, the game in progress as the Warriors are handling the Blazers easily, 66-52 by 26 to go in the third. Right now, Maurice Hawkins, Hawkins has 15 points, 7 rebounds, 1 assist. Draymond Green has 11 rebounds, 10 assists, and only 5 points. Hmm, interesting. Uh, the Wizards hang on to beat the Hawks, 109-101. Paul Millsap has 27 points, 10 rebounds, and 4 assists. John Wall, 32 points, 9 assists, and 5 rebounds. And the Rockets came back to beat the Thunder, 115-111. Got to take a 2-0 game lead in the series. Russell Westbrook, though, another triple-double, 51 points, 13 assists, and 10 rebounds. James Harden, 35 points, 8 assists, and 4 rebounds, both highly MVP Candidates, who could blame them? All right, so we go to the ice, and it goes like we have uh, we have one game in progress as Anaheim leads Calgary two to one, six twenty-five to go in the third period. Just uh, give me a second here. All right, the Capitals uh, beat the Maple Leafs five to four. But Austin Matthews scores another scores a goal and takes care of that. Then it is uh hang on to beat the Bruins one nothing. Uh take a take a three one lead game with that series. Bobby Ryan was the only goal scorer in the whole game. And the Wild beat the Blues two to nothing. Um just a second here. It's a short it's a short um Martin Hasmol scores um, scores in the second period and the first period it was oh it's oh there we go and the first period it was Charlie Coyle who scored the first period goal uh, right now to the diamond the diamond we go come on idiot. Give me a second, folks. It's a little bit slow. All right, now we're going to go to the now we're going to go to the diamond, and the scores go this way. It's been a long day for baseball because we had afternoon games as well as night games, and we'll start at the top of the page with this. All right, at the end of the seventh, right now, the Dodgers lead the Rockies four to two. I'll, I'll, Momo is pitching, and Matthew is at bat. No, it's not the Romo that you're thinking of. Uh, by the way, there's a runner on first and nobody out. In the top of the ninth, the Padres are leading the dime. Whoops. Back here. I hate when this happens. All right. All right, now where were I? Okay. Rockies lead the four two. The Cardinals beat the Pirates two to one. 
Wacha was the winner, Cole was the loss, and Rosenthal got the save. Continuing on here, the Cubs over the Brewers, 7-4. Davis with the win, and Feliz got the loss. There was a game, it was a walk-off home run win at that. Athletics had no trouble over the Rangers, 9-1. Howling got the win, and Perez got the loss. The Marlins, uh, Mariners doubled up on the Marlins, 10-5. Felix Hernandez got the win, and... Esqualas got the loss. The Yankees had no trouble with the White Sox, 9-1. Tanaka got the win. He's back on tracking. Cuffy. Company got the loss. Blue Jays blanked the Red Sox, 3-0. Moreno got the win. Porcello got the loss, and Osana got the save. Orioles uh, shot the Reds, 2-0. Yeah, Mirez got the win, Garrett got the loss, and Brock got the save. The Mets edged the Phillies 5-4. to four. Ramos got the win, Ramos got the loss, and Reed got the save. Tigers, uh, Braves edged the Tigers 8-7. Pruitt got, Pruitt got the win, and Rodriguez got the loss. Nationals had no trouble again with the Braves, 14-4. to Ross got the win, and Terahang got the loss. Indians and Twins were postponed. Sorry. Uh, probably due to rain, but then again, it's Minnesota, so I wouldn't count out snow. Uh, Astros over the Angels, 5-1. to Kirchner got the win, and Ramirez got the loss. Royals over the Giants, 2 to nothing. Vargas got the win, Baumgartner got the loss, and Hernia got the save. And finally, uh, this just went final, actually. Padres over the Diamondbacks, one to nothing. Chesane got the win, Greninke got the loss, and Maurer got the save. All right, so we covered all the bases with the scores. Now for the news headlines. Um, I'm gonna sc- I'm gonna go down the scrolling, so I have to come back up here. Boston Brewers defenseman Colin Miller returns after missing two games with a lower body injury, and that can come in a very time as their blue line is in ruins right now. Uh, as Tory Krung went down with a lower body injury, Adam McQuaid and Brandon Carlo both sidelined with upper body injuries. Oilers forward Leon Dastardali will not be suspended for spearing Chris Terrier, Chris Tierney of the Sharks, but will be fined more than twenty-five thousand dollars for his actions. Oh boy. Um, oh, by the way, the uh, the Cubs win was by the, by a home run by Addison Addison Russell. And that three-run homer in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, beautiful. NBA finds uh, Celtics guard Marcus Smart $25,000 for making an obscene gesture during the fourth quarter as the Celtics lost to the Bulls last night. And if this, if this goes uh, the way we think it's going to go, it could be one of the biggest upsets in playoff history. 
it wouldn't be the first time an eight seed to beat a one, but Boston was heavily favored. Memphis Grizzlies coach Dave Fisdale fined $30,000 for officiating a rant after losing to the Spurs in Game 2, calling the officiating crew unprofessional and unacceptable, and a few other words that I can think of, like pathetic, disgusting, etc., etc., as he slammed a pen on the table, then storming off the court. Sharif O'Neal says he will commit to Arizona next season, and is one, and of course, not other than the son of Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, he was ranked 19th out of 60 for the class of 2018. LSU was also interested in recruiting him uh, prior to the recent coaching change. That's where, of course, Shaq played his college ball, and I remember that very well. UCLA was also interested in in, in taking him as well. Now for the disturbing item of the day. Oh, not yet. Uh, Patriots cornerback Malcolm Butler signed his restricted free agent tender, opening up a possibility that the team could trade him. A player cannot be traded unless he is in a contract. Butler's status was in jeopardy until he signed the tender deal worth $3.91 million. Butler did not sign the tender in the hopes that another NFL team would offer sheet before Friday's deadline. He did visit the Saints earlier in free agency. The Saints did not offer Bower an offer sheet, but Coach Sean Payton seemed uh, to seem to be interested. To him, the club could be in a different scenario. Patriots don't have a draft selection until the third round. The Chicago Cubs are asking non-players to sign an agreement to buy back their World Series rings for one dollar must be the cheapskate plan. General Manager of Red Hoyer, everyone except the players to sign it. The Cubs gave out 1908 rings and pins to everyone from high-level executives to the scoreboard operator. It is not known if the Ricketts family, who are the owners, pay for the right pay for the rings which are different tiers. But according to a sports ring dealer, Tim Robbins, a mid-level player was the first ring to sell his ring that could go for $80,000. The players will be responsible to pay the taxes based on the market value, but the team is taking on the taxes for low-level employees. Uh, Giants... Catcher Buster Posley goes goes three for five in the DH role as he returns to the lineup following his concussion that kept him out for seven days as he was struck in the head by a 94-mile-per-hour fastball by T. John Walker. To make matters worse, Philly's right-hand man, Clay Buckholtz, has surgery to prepare a torn flexor tendon on his right forearm and will be out four to six months, probably out for the entire season. Uh, left fielder Howie Kendrick was also put on the tendon DLS with right abdominal strain. Okay, now for the item of the day that is very disturbing. Former NFL star Aaron Hernandez 
who was serving a life sentence for a murder conviction and just days ago was acquitted of double murder, died after hanging himself in his prison cell early yesterday morning. Yeah. Massachusetts officials, that's according to Massachusetts officials. Uh, the guards found Hernandez unresponsive in his cell at the Sousa Barnowski Correctional Center in Shirley just after 3 a.m. The Department of Corrections spokesman Christopher Fallon said in a statement, the former New England Patriots tight end was pronounced dead at UMass Memorial Health Alliance Hospital in Leminster. And about an hour later, he was 27 years old. He was a single... Hernandez was a single cell in a general population housing unit in a maximum security state prison. He hanged himself using a bed sheet that he attached to the cell window, that according to Fallon. Hernandez tried to block the cell door from the inside by jamming the door with various items. Law enforcement enforcement sources told ABC News that Hernandez was found with uh, John with the Bible John three sixteen written across his forehead. The Bible verse reads, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life." Wow. Fallon said that he was not aware of any suicide note written by Hernandez and stressed that investigation is ongoing. He said officials had no concern that Hernandez was planning on taking his own life. He also noted that if there was a concern about his well-being, Hernandez would have been transferred to a mental health facility unit. Yeah, you fooled us. The family and the legal team is shocked and surprised at the news of Aaron's death. Hernandez's lawyer, Jose Baez, said in a statement, there are no conversations or correspondence from Aaron to his family or legal team that would have indicated anything like this was possible. Aaron was looking forward to an opportunity to having or for a second chance to prove his innocence. Those who love and care for him are heartbroken and determined to find the truth. Uh, Surrounding his untimely death, we request that authorities conduct a transparent and thorough investigation. The Bias Law Firm will participate in this in its own examination into this tragic event and update the media on and its public findings as soon as they become available. Just just awful. Uh, Hernandez former agent Brian Murphy said Wednesday morning there was absolutely no chance that Hernandez would took his own life. Uh, it was not a he was not a saint, but my family and I loved him, and he would never take his own life. That according to Murphy. The sentiment was shared by Hernandez's cousin, Randy Garcia. Uh, most of us are in shock. We still, we still don't believe this has happened. Garcia told WTNH via Skype, we still think there is no way Aaron would take his own life. Hernandez removed the tears Friday after he was acquitted of the 2012 fatal shootings 
of Daniel D. Abreu and Stefano Fortero in Boston just before his acquittal. Hernandez was seen blowing kisses to his daughter, a father with fiance Shania Jenkins Hernandez. Uh, captured the captured the tender exchange. Hernandez was still serving a life sentence with the possibility of parole for his conviction in 2013 of shooting of Odin Lloyd, a semi-professional football player who was dating Jenkins Hernandez's sister. Garcia said that one of his nephews posted on Facebook that he had spoken with Hernandez on Tuesday night and that he was in good spirits. That he was, his conversation was nothing but filled with joy. That he was thinking about his future and how he was going to win his approval in the Odin Lloyd's case. And he was in really good spirits. So, for this to happen, it was just a complete shock. And they still don't believe that he took his own life. And we still don't believe, and we still believe there's a lot of foul playing going on. The lawyer who represents Lloyd's mother says in a moving, she's moving forward with a wrongful death lawsuit against Hernandez's estate. He says he has placed uh, liens on Hernandez's Massachusetts home, estimated to be worth 1.3 million. Hernandez was tried but acquitted in the slings of the two people in 2013, when prosecutors contended. They were gunned down before one of the men accidentally spilled a drink on Hernandez in a Boston nightclub. The jury in the case found Hernandez not guilty of first-degree murder, but convicted him of unlawful possession of a gun. And the judge sentenced him to initial four to five years in prison, separate, separate from his life sentence. From his life sentence. His death was a shock. His death was shocking and sad to a very tragic series of events that negatively, neg- negatively impacted a number of families, says Bristol uh, County District Attorney Thomas Quinn, who prosecuted Hernandez in the Lloyd case. Esterno Abreu, the father of one of the men Hernandez was acquitted of killing, told the Boston Globe, I am not happy about his death. It's actually a shame any loss of life is a shame. I believe they leave you things in God's hands. Uh, his death came on the same day as the Patriots visited the White House to mark their Super Bowl victory. Oh wow! Patriots did not comment on when did not comment Wednesday with a spokesman issuing this statement in the morning. We are aware of the reports, but I don't anticipate that he will be commenting today. Star, uh, star in the University of Florida, who dropped to the fourth round of the NFL draft because of his misbehavior in college. Hernandez was a productive tight end, and for the Patriots for three seasons. Hernandez's former college teammate, Dolphin Center, Mike Ponzi, posted an Instagram saying about the news. Um, well, let's yeah. Yeah. 
He grew up in Connecticut and played with the Patriots from 2010 to 2012. During his second year with New England, he caught 79 passes for 910 yards and seven touchdowns and helped them to reach the Super Bowl in 2012. He signed a five-year, $40 million contract extension. The team released him in June 2013, shortly after the arrest of Lloyd's killing. <sighs> wow. What a list. I know. Yeah. That was uh, that was breath- that was a breathtaking article for me. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um I guess I'll turn it back over to you. Yeah. On that note on that low note that is, that's gonna wrap it up for episode two forty nine of the Michigan Sports Truth Post Game Edition on Talk Show. We uh, I have I have later to later to later today off. I have later today off. And the Tigers play at one ten at the Tampa at the Tampa Bay Rays. You got Daniel Norris on the mound against an, another unknown pitcher. Um. So we. So chances are we might do an early post game, probably at five. I don't have anything else to. I don't have anything to do besides watch the game. <laughs> All right. So until then, for Lewis Tenor I'm, and Buck Gino, I'm Taylor Phillips. Follow me on Twitter at dt2phillips and Buck Gino at Buck Gino triple I in Roman numerals. And like um, the can, we, can we make it? Wait, can we make it six? I usually have dinner around five o'clock. So can we do six? Sure. Thanks. I'll, I'll try to do that. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Six six o'clock. Like All the right. Michigan Sports Truth Facebook page and join its Facebook group. So until six o'clock p.m. TTFM. Ta ta for now. Bon appetit. Good night.